0: You are listening to Let's Talk Tribe, the official Let's Go Tribe podcast.
1: Swung on, the deep left field, it is Goal! It deep right. going to
0: This is Let's Talk Tribe, the official Let's Go Tribe podcast, episode 119. I'm your host, Matt Lyons, and in this week's episode... We'll recap the week worth of games. We'll talk about Oscar Mercado being promoted. We'll talk about how much blame Terry Francona deserves for the Indian situation, if it's any. Maybe it's none. Maybe it's a lot. Who knows? Talk about Jeffrey Rodriguez and his emergence as a pretty solid fifth starter, and Cody Anderson's emergence is not a pretty solid fifth starter. And we interview Clippers, director of social media, website, communications, public address announcer, Matt Leininger. A lot of fun talking to him about the Clippers and about Mercado especially. It's, It's pretty the content gods blessed us with Mercado's promotion right before the podcast started, so... Uh, joining me for all that and more is none other than Mr. Merritt Rolfing. Merritt, how are you doing? Matt, great news. What is it? I've come up
2: with a new character for the show. It's fantastic. And his name oh, is no. Captain Hindsight. Everyone will love him, I'm sure of it.
0: <laughs> what is, uh, what's his first observation for Captain Hindsight? Here's a great one.
2: Oh, the Indians should have traded for Alex Verdugo. That's a pretty good one, right? <laughs> I like that one a lot. Here's another great one. Uh, oh, the Indians should never have traded <laughs> Yandi Diaz. That's a pretty good one, too. Huh? I like that one a lot.
0: They, all, they should have maybe figured out how to unlock Giovanni Shella too. Or maybe Jesus Aguilar. Or... <laughs> that's quite a too few far things. in the past. <laughs> <laughs> Giovanni Urshela? Wait a minute. What? Are you, Is he good he's enough? like a folk hero in New York right now. Is he? Oh, that's right. He's doing great over there. And he's smoking uh, everything. It's not like luck completely. His backup's high, but he's setting the ball really hard. Well, but, anyway, um, they,
2: they really should have traded for Alex Verdugo.
0: especially. Yeah, that remember it. those rumors for Kluber for Verdugo? I don't know. We've talked about that rumors can be anything, so I don't know if how much real with that. But if that was real and it fell through, I'm real sad right about it.
2: What a bar factory, honestly. That's a mess right there. (laughs) Oh, God. Anyway, it's uh, something I'll be working on throughout the year. Uh, Those are two such takes that our friend Captain Hindsight will reveal. Uh, Does he he need
0: a voice or an intro or anything? He he just kind of pops in and he sounds exactly like Merritt
2: Rolfing? We'll work on it. We'll work on it. Maybe this. Oh, I'm Captain. <laughs> H- oh, that's pretty good. I'll work on the voice. He, he should probably be irritated. I'm like, Captain Hindsight. Why did they trade away on Diaz? Look at those biceps.
0: And so like, on. A mixed, like that. He's Grover from Sesame Street. Yeah, sort of like Grover from Sesame Street. You know. <laughs> so the of course the main thing to talk about tonight, besides Captain Hindsight, is uh, Oscar Mercado's <laughs> here. <laughs> this is, usually this kind of stuff happens right after a podcast, but mm-hmm. literally like an hour before we started it was posted that that Oscar Mercado is going to be joining the Indians. He's joining the team in Chicago, I'd assume tonight and he's going to start um, under or not send the broadcast probably tomorrow. Um, then as a result, Tyler Naquins heading to the injured list. He was running before the game and then he, his hamstring felt tight. So he's out probably for at least a few days. So the Oscar Mercado show is here. Merritt, how hyped if, 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 if at all are you to see Oscar Mercado with his speed and apparent new swing and all this fun stuff come to the Cleveland Indians and, how much do you think is going to help the Indians outfield? First of all, if he's really good and helps carry the team, then his nickname should be
2: Oxcart. I, I like that a Oxcart, lot, and, Mercado. And, and, I, and I will not drop that. It's very good, and it sounds I like kind of love it. <laughs> uh, and, you know, the fun thing about Oscar Mercado is, if he is even all right offensively, he's the best offensive outfield the Indians have. <laughs> and that's sad good. Yeah, that's great, man. Naquin... Whatever, you know, you wash your hands of him. And then, I mean, that's, yeah, honestly, this is depressing now. Right now, I'm just looking at stats for the, for the outfield play, the, you know, the various outfielders. Oh, you never do that. Don't do that. I know. Man. Just don't look at the numbers, dude. <laughs> what are you doing to yourself? Oh, God. Even, oh, Jason Kidmans get out of here. Captain Hindsight has some thoughts on Jason Kidmans later.
0: Uh, <laughs> oh, Captain Current Sight has some thoughts on Also, Jason that, Kipnis.
2: also that guy. <laughs> he's, he's different and more boring and also has very obvious views on things. Yeah. Um, I am impressed with what uh, Jordan Luplo has been doing. Uh, albeit in you know a short stint here, though he seems to be making space for himself. But, yeah, no, there's definitely room here for Oscar Mercado to do something magical. Uh, I, I'm all for it. I, I will be the first to admit I don't pay a ton of attention to prospects. I simply don't have the brain space for it. There's too much major league baseball for me to pay attention to. I see guys in the pipeline. And go. I hope he's good later. But you know, outside of like Francisco Lindor and players of that caliber, I just don't. You, you can't get too hyped up, and this will be a bit of a buzzkill. You know, our old friend uh, Snidely Buzzkill, another character
0: I could work on. <laughs> anyway. but <laughs> Yeah, I never get hyped up about prospects. I don't know what you're talking about. I never get overexcited about them. Yeah, it. right. I'm I know. Really it's, calm it's, when damn. they're promoted.
2: Uh, no, it's, it's again, it's super exciting, and honestly, hopefully the shot in the arm the Indians need. It, it's been almost, pres- almost three years now, I think. Four years since the Indians got a real nice shot in the arm from promoting a rookie. Uh, yeah. Unless you okay. count pitchers,
0: but offensive shot in the arm.
2: Offensive yeah. shot in the arm. It's been um, how many
0: years? Lindor, twenty fifteen. I was gonna hard. say we're
2: coming up on yeah four years in one month. Actually, almost precisely. And, uh, well, by the time you hear this podcast, it'll, it'll be one month before the anniversary, the fourth anniversary of his debut, that they get really got an offensive shot in the arm from a from a rookie call
0: up. I think the next closest was Bradley Zimmer, but he was a dud. I mean, he's still gonna be good, but he's he hasn't been a shot in the arm.
2: Yeah, like you, you just think about guys that they've called. Like, I suppose you could call Tyron when a shot in the arm, um, but that was such a you know that was such a you know a flash of light that suddenly was snuffed out, sort of a thing. Once people figure out what, what he couldn't hit, so would it be cool if they could do that? You know, I mean, I don't mean to belabor the point, but I, I was looking at you know Alex Verdugo's numbers today, and again, rookie. <laughs> so just something like that would be cool. Obviously, you know, you look at guys who get called many times they don't do well case in point mike trout's rookie year was you know terrible it wasn't long or anything like that but he he hit what very terribly i believe it was the numbers he was 130 it was only 40 games but you know he had a 672 on base or ops and then he popped that up 300 points the next year so uh it sometimes it takes a little while but the indians definitely need something and whatever that is it could be this
0: and everybody keeps saying, like, Oscar Mercado is not going to save this team, but like you said, he doesn't have to be a savior to be a, a pretty big upgrade in the outfield because <laughs> he's probably de- better defensively than Martin in center field. He's faster than anybody, and if he hits like even slightly above average, he's the best outfielder by quite a bit.
2: Yeah, and and and, and I think you know, I, I was when, when we say slightly above average, he's hitting what like, 280. 350 450 or something right now down in columbus i mean oh he's been
0: fantastic in columbus yeah, yeah i mean
2: hell if he starts posting a line similar to like what with less walks than like what santana is doing right now which is 279 384 34 you know if it's two two eighty 350 hell yeah baby sign me up for that give me that he's 24 years old give me that right now and, and we can grow from there um plus the possibility for like a ton of stolen bases? Yeah. Right, exactly. <laughs> he'll be on base. we will be playing defense. And, you know, it's, it's definitely something to be excited about, if only because of what it could mean for stabilizing the offense or even creating any offense at all. You know, like we, how many times have we watched the offense just kind of not exist? I believe we can even refer to a couple of games out in Oakland
0: this, uh, this past weekend. So it's going to be fun to actually maybe see the Indians be on this side of grabbing a prospect and then unlocking something in him. He was with the Cardinals. He was never that great. Well, I guess he was, he was above average hitter in the Cardinal system. He had a, um, a three forty six Woba in 2017, which isn't too bad, but, but then he came over to the Indians and this year, he apparently worked on something with a swing. And then he's, he's been a lot more patient since he came to the Indians. He has a double digit walk rate since he's been over. So, I mean, there's a lot of good things that if you translate to the majors, this is finally a guy that's the reverse of, or Scheller, or Aguilar, or whatever, where the Indians get this player who the other team basically just, I don't i don't know if they gave up on him, but they traded him for, for two really lower level, neither of them pitched higher than high A outfielders, and now the Indians got him, and then if if this is finally their chance to, to grow somebody out of nothing, which is going to be really exciting to see, even more than just having a competent outfielder for once. And how many times have
2: we talked on this podcast, or just to ourselves, or to friends, or whatever, just... The Indians have rolled the dice on outfielders that we've barely heard of or, you know, that we were relatively excited for about a million times the last five years. I mean, it's worked
0: a couple like it hasn't failed every time. but
2: No, it has. It hasn't failed by any stretch. No, but it also hasn't. I mean, outside of Michael Brantley, like how many guys that they've gotten, you know, in a trade, that you go, ooh, he could be something special. Maybe, maybe not ends up being nothing. I mean, I have. I just feel like that ha- that's happened so many times. It's it's absurd, you know. And maybe this will be the time it won't. Maybe you know. Maybe it won't. I don't know. We'll see. It's it's still
0: super early. It's still nothing. I don't, I, I was never a big believer in Greg Allen to begin with. I think he's a great kid, and I think he has some skills. But I don't, are we? Is he done? <laughs> like, that, is there you know much what? more room for him if Oscar Mercado turns out to be pretty much anything?
2: I mean, honestly, if he is done, that's really depressing because. I just don't think he's ever really been given a chance, and that more than anything, I think is the is the the most damning statement about the Indians the last while. I think you know they're just not they don't give they, they don't seem to give young players a shot. And I mean, this is obviously a, a, a larger chunk of something we're, we're probably going to talk about in a few minutes. But if not, like, I, I mean, it's just there's been like you, you look at you know greg allen's game logs from from this year and there's just there's no there's no consistency Really, i mean i know he, he was starting a decent amount it's just i don't know i, I just feel like he's not getting consistent you know, lots of consistent at bats all the time he, like, he was in and out of the lineup pinch running this and that the other thing you know he had a stretch from the seventh to the uh 16th where he had a grand total of eight at-bats while appearing in, you know, seven games and stuff like that. Like, it's just that – it's it, baseball is so about routine and, and getting a chance to, you know, aggregate. And I just don't think he's ever been really given a chance to do that while we watch other guys, you know, like Carlos Gonzalez get penciled in every single day at this point which, since he's been on the team. And, yeah, he, he's hitting better than Greg Allen, but Greg Allen also, I don't know, just was never really given – and he even look back to last year when he was, quote unquote, playing a lot. He just was, it's, he was never playing like chunks of time or, or just every day in it. You know what I mean? So I don't know. And this is something we've talked about many times. I mean, you, you look to someone like Yandy Diaz down in Tampa now who is beating the ever loving crap out of the ball. And I, this, this, this website that, that I write for, that we podcast for was relatively enamored of him, I believe, would be Slightly, a good way to describe <laughs> it. And then it just oh then you look over to somewhere like uh I'll just pick a random town in a in a Great Lakes state. Milwaukee. That's a nice place. They they, they have this first baseman there who's now hitting How's he hitting these days? Let's look. Well terrible this year, but I I don't know. The fact remains that the last two years he's posted a combined what, hundred and twenty seven OPS plus like He's been
0: pretty good, yeah. <laughs>
2: a little. That would be nice, good. averaging thirty home runs for 162 games, like exactly the kind of player that has been demanded by the fan base since forever. And we had for a short time with uh, Edmund Encarnacion for two thirds of a season, and yeah. Mike Napoli, and it's just but this is the homegrown type, and
0: so I don't know. Yeah, no, this, the subject you're alluding to earlier is, of course, um, talking about Terry Francona and and I guess sort of his hand in where the Indians are now with. With how much they're struggling and and the fact that we keep seeing all these players who are are nothing in Cleveland and then they go somewhere else, they get consistent playing time, they make these small changes, um, and then all of a sudden they're great. I mean, even Yandy Diaz, he didn't change a whole lot. I think he's still hitting the ball actually lower than he was last year. Yeah, no, there's nothing different about him. Right, but other teams are finding something, like. Even if they're saying the same things, it's just the different voice is working better than a mix of Terry Francona and Tyvan Berkeley, who may or may not exist. But it, it's just, a, I'm not sure where to to figure out where Terry Francona's blame lies. So I don't think he's great at drawing lineups, but I don't think that's super important. But if it's to the point where he's the one not letting these guys get consistent playing like you said, Carlos Gonzalez is out there every single day and he's not good. Why didn't just Greg Allen go <laughs> out there and try to be good? <laughs> like, it doesn't make any sense. He just relies on these veterans so much just because, is it because it worked with Austin Jackson once and now we got to do it every time? I don't quite get it, but it's just hard to find where the blame starts with either the front office not getting the right players or players not playing well enough. But when it's so many players having the same kind of struggles every year,
1: Mm
2: -hmm.
0: and then Jose Ramirez being so slow to start this year and not really changing anything, I don't know when you start shifting that blame to the coaching staff, even if it's not Frank Cohn, even if it's just Van Berkelio, but somebody's clearly not getting through to the players, and it's not that I think they're giving him... like bad information or they're stupid or anything, but it's just a matter of like the voice you hear. Like although I'm sure all the teams are mostly giving players the same exact information, but you hear it a different way from somebody else. And it sounds completely different and it clicks and it almost seems like that's what happening. Cause now Giovanni Urshela in New York is just drilling the ball everywhere um he has like a sky-high bat but it's not for lack of trying because he is, has a ton of hard contact and Jesus Aguilar like you said has been a success in Milwaukee and Yandi Diaz is killing the ball and I don't know it's just it's just frustrating to see and uh, how much would you put on Francona for all this it's his, the the mantra has always been that he's a great motivator but then last year we heard that he couldn't communicate with Yandi Diaz for some reason or Francisco Lindor had to be a mediator to talk to him to get his frustration well, part of across, that was and, a, was it a language barrier too obviously but yeah it didn't sound like that cause, I mean, I, I I got the
2: uh, my, the read I got from what I understood it, it was a it was a, it was a language barrier thing. That
0: was one what? of the reasons that
2: Francisco Lindor was in that meeting with him was because
0: I mean it was one of them but wasn't he going to Francona specifically to air his frustrations about not getting playing time? Like if you're at a point where a player who's shown somewhere else that he can hit this well is frustrated with your manager, that's got to be kind of a sign. I mean, I agree with you. I mean, I don't I don't know how much to heap on on Francona.
2: And I don't like to say one thing or another about, about any hitting coach just because that's just not how I I don't know. I think that the the hitting itself is too reactive and it's the coaching isn't within that level I don't think it's really all that impactful if at least in the old school way of doing things. I don't know. But then of course you look across the entire lineup and they have one they have one player who's an above average hitter and the other one obviously is Lindor. Uh, who's creeping his way up? but honestly you look you look at across these guys, and so many of them never expected to be great hitters in the first place, so it's like they were dealt a raw hand. you know what I mean? like Santana was he was a great hitting prospect before he came over. Francisco lindor was he was a great everything like from the get go, so they i don't I, I it's hard to talk about development and stuff like that there. And then, of course, you have Jose Ramirez, who was a huge success story. And then, outside of that, I don't know. It's just there, there's, there's, like you said, there, there's something being lost somewhere, and I can't really identify with it. I I'd identify where, but the Indians do seem to have a problem with getting the most out of their hitters. Pitching fine, you know what I mean? They, 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 they pop out starters like it's nobody's business. You know, like the latest example being Jeffrey, Jeffrey Rodriguez. It's weird how that's the one place that they can really dominate in terms of in terms of development and i wonder if that's i wonder if that's almost i don't know this is a weird thing to say but is pitchers are so separated from the you know the the man the the coaching staff in a way because in one part because they're over in the goddamn bullpen i don't know again i don't know how much to heap on francona and then how much to just say this sucks and the players that the front office is getting aren't good
0: but i think they're better than this right i mean like If you take pictures out of it, the Indians... I don't know, Matt. That's the thing. Look at the lineup. Are they? I mean, they're better than a combined 73 WRC+, right? They've got to be at least an average offense.
2: Again, are they? I mean, obviously, Ramirez is having a terrible season. Uh, Francisco Lindor is digging his way back from a slow start. Um, But outside of that, Gonzalez is never going to be that good. He hasn't been good in two years. Luplo is a nice surprise. Perez is actually out hitting himself. Um, Santana is doing well. Kidman's hasn't been good in two years. Jake Bowers, um, who knows? The Rays thought so highly of him that they traded him. Linus Martinez has had one and a half good years of being good. Tyler Naquin's never been that good of a hitter. I, I could keep on going. It's just, I, you know, this is something I said in our Slack channel over the weekend or last week or something like that. There's four guys that the Indian, that were on the Indians last year who have WRC Plus over 134. And they're not on the Indians anymore. And whether that's money... In Frank, in uh, Michael Brantley's case, whether it's again money in Edwin Carnacion's case, whether it's the Yandy Diaz case, I don't know. But the Yandy Diaz case, I think, is one we have to keep on circling because that is the latest case in in a failure of someone to ju- accurately judge talent.
0: Yeah, you're right. It's like a failure somewhere. We don't exactly know who, but somewhere well, along I, the line, somebody screwed up. So, and who do you? I don't know. And
2: who is to judge for that? Because I know that Terry Francona carries a lot of sway in the game and in, and in the, you know, in the organization because of who he is. He's a two-time championship winning coach, all this stuff. You know, he's, he's been uh, around the team for decades because of his dad. He's a nice man. Uh, He's an ambassador for the team itself, which is important in its own way. You know, when you have a team like, like Cleveland, who, you know, I mean, sometimes he didn't always have a face. He was the face early on. I just feel like there's a failure somewhere be- somewhere in between the management and the front office, right, to say someone needs to – I don't know, and this is an argument I'm sure we talked about last year. but it, 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 We've never really readdressed it, I think, because we, we were kind of hopeful that Jake Bowers would get, it, would kind of hit the ground running. But the fact that Yanni Diaz is hitting as well as he is, and the fact that the Rays did something that's so blatantly obvious in getting three of the I think it was an article it was like three of the top twenty six exit velocity guys that were in the game last year and put them in their offense and they are logging OPS pluses. I'm sorry, using OPS plus, using WRC, but plus, what we're on different websites. The numbers are close enough anyway. But anyway, one forty one, one twenty nine, and one twenty five OPS pluses. That would be first, second, and third on the indians this year as it is they're it's their its third and fourth on the Rays. um i guess you could call it, count austin meadows is 207 jesus christ austin meadows
0: uh he's but, injured now but he was really good and good then lord uh
2: but yeah again that's yanni diaz tommy fam and avasayal garcia uh, I garcia i'm sure will come back to earth fam is good diaz is everything is who we who we know him to be his batting average has sunk down to two sixty seven, but again, the on base percentage will always be there because he has incredible plate discipline. So I don't know; we'll
0: see. Baseball is a long season. Yeah, that's probably the the biggest glaring issue with the front office is is not just giving Michael Brantley at least the qualifying offer, and if he declined it, you get a draft pick. But if he didn't, then you get Michael Brantley for a year. But I am saying a little like, bit of captain hindsight in that because we nobody was quite sure that he'd be this good again. Giving him the he's having the best year of his career is the right. Thing. Yeah, I am saying like, I don't think people saw that coming. <laughs> like It's he, easy to
2: well, say it now, but he is hitting better than he did when he was third in MVP voting. I think. Yes, he is. In yeah, fact, yes, this is his best year. Yeah, he's he started to get ten home runs and in forty games, he's on pace to fucking hit forty home
0: runs. <laughs> if you really want to look at it that way, yeah, it's good. It's gonna feel real good. So there is one other thing we have to talk about, Merritt. Um, this is the good half of it. Is Jeffrey Rodriguez, who came over in in a trade for the front office that continues to look just. Stellar is trading Yon Gomes for for Rodriguez and Daniel Johnson. Who Johnson, by the way, is also crushing the ball in Double A. I think he had a two homer game the other day. Mm-hmm. He's killing him um, And they are brutal players, in the majors. And by the way, fight. if that
2: trade works out, then everything I just said about so- someone fucking up in the front office in the toilet, throw it right to the old toilet there. <laughs> I mean, they still have obvious other screw ups, but that oh, one so that many negates flaws. a lot. But. but you know what <laughs> bugs me too is there's talk about how forward thinking they are and how they have to be forward thinking because obviously they they, they they're dealing with such a shorthand the fact that they're so lacking in just a seemingly a large chunk of the game and i don't know whether again whether that's a front office or a front office translating it to the field thing or what but you know there's just there's a there's there's something there's something missing
0: and we can't be anyway right maybe down johnson will be that, that missing link we don't know but for now i mean is rodriguez is the fifth starter which is he hasn't looked like a shutdown pitcher yet. He doesn't have like a ten inning, ten strikeouts per inning, like one walk or whatever, but he's been pretty average as far as his walks and strikeouts but he has a 97 mile power fastball on baseball savant he's in the upper I, I already forgot i think it was like 93 percentile something or was it in the 70s i don't know he's in the upper half of spin rate for his fastball so he's got a really good fastball that he's he using i
2: think he's 13th uh he's 13th highest spin rate in his I was actually looking at this yesterday for an article i'm working on he, he right, an yeah he has incredibly high rate in his fastball yes
0: which is really cool and then it, it generates a lot of ground balls that he gets um there might still be some luck involved with what he's doing but he looks basically like 20 was that 2016 cody anderson where he had the really good start with the 2015
2: uh 20 2016 yeah when he's the low strikeouts with the with the
0: 305 era yeah yeah. right yeah i mean that's exactly what jeffrey rodriguez looks right now so maybe if if uh if your big sweaty son doesn't turn out to be anything which he's had a couple bad starts in a row maybe jeffrey rodriguez is the new heir to that throne i mean he's not sweaty but what have you thought of of him as the the new fifth starter coming over replacing effectively clevenger and kluber because cody anderson hasn't done much of a job of that
2: Here's a weird thing that someone should never, (laughs) no one ever expected me to say. Reminds me a little bit of
0: Miles Mikolas. Oh yeah, the Miles Mikolas, the one
2: and only. No, last year Mikolas was like third or he was sixth in Cy Young voting. Uh, Struck out six and a half for nine. I wish I had the percentages, but but Baseball Reference is just the way it is. Uh, But popped up a two eighty three ERA. With 328 fielding independent pitching, uh, this is the single. I mean, this is basically what kind of what I expected uh, Rodriguez to be in a way. Well, not this is kind of what I've seen. I mean, I mean, he's going to have ebbs and flows because you know this because he doesn't get a lot of strikeouts this year. Nicholas's ERA is up a full run, uh, so is his fielding independent pitching because, as you said, luck has a lot to do with it. Now, what's interesting about what I what I thought, um. Rodriguez is doing. it. Obviously, he's elevated his ground ball percentage by more than 10 points. Almost 11 points now. Um, almost 12 points, actually. Uh, he's dropped his fly ball rate, which is also a positive. He's upped his sinker usage, which is a strange thing to do. And this is really the thesis of the article that I'm, that I'll be posting later this week. Which is a strange thing to do in an era where sinker use is at its absolute lowest ebb ever. And I don't know why or what the thought process was here, or whether this is a long-running thing that's going to continue. But it's something very interesting about him, and a neat change of pace from what is essentially an entire lineup of, you know, just high fastball, high velocity type of guys.
0: Also, does he really throw 97, 97 miles an hour? He does. Damn. Yeah, that's his max. It's like 95, 97.
2: Yeah. His game on Sunday. It just seemed like he was he was hitting 92, like maybe 93 every now and
0: again. But. It's not frequent, but I mean, he touches 97. Which he can is, do it, really yeah. Good. But but, yeah. He, but even this is saying that his
2: average velocity is 95 on his fastball. I was like, I, I was seeing, I don't know, maybe the, maybe the gun out in Oakland was just slow or something like that. <laughs> Gun's cold. Both. Guns gold, you know, yeah. <laughs> no, that, that and that that sinker usage is interesting, and, you know, the, the Indians are one of a few teams that can really take advantage of that simply because of what is in their infield. As struggling as uh, Revere's is at the plate, still a great glove. Lindor is there um, as bad as Kipnis is at the plate. He's really become a great defender over the years due to his pre pitch positioning I guess and that that part of that is scouting part of that is obviously the coaching staff and everything like that and then obviously what's his name is a very good first baseman uh Carlos Santana uh how long it'll last that is the excellent question you're right that said his BABIP is like 289 or something like that um we'll see I like what I'm seeing so far this is everything the Indians needed kind of really everything was really threatened to fall apart when you lose two ace caliber pitchers when that's all your team has, so if this yeah, kid's I mean, come he's the up fifth starter, which I know.
0: <laughs> holy cow! Well, and that's I guess his fourth thing, now you know? technically, but I yeah, mean exactly. He's, he's going to be the fifth at some
2: point. Yes, exactly. will be the well, once Clevenger comes back, he'll be the fifth starter, and then. And after that, done what, done. You, what the hell? What the hell do you do with him? Like in the event Corey Hoover comes back, you know. I, I mean, mean, that
0: kind of brings up another question: the Indians, whether it's the development or coaching staff, have to answer is they're not turning these guys into bullpen arms because, like, Cody Anderson probably should have just been. He can also hit 97 as a bullpen reliever. Like, why is he not in the bullpen somewhere? He could be probably a better reliever. Even Jeffrey Rodriguez could probably be a better reliever. He gets a lot of ground balls. He throws the ball stupid hard, and I'm sure he can throw it faster as a reliever. So it's weird they're stretching all these guys into starting pitchers. Like, they could have just used... I know Adam Plucko was injured, but he they could have used him at some point as a starter. And Zach Plesac is going to be coming soon. So mm-hmm. they have a ton of starting pitchers, and they're not turning any of these, like, high-velocity, limited-pitch guys into relievers, which seems weird to me that they've we've talked about it before that they're so bad at developing relievers and they have these guys who could potentially be that reliever and they're just not doing it. I guess it's, it's helped now since they need more starting pitching, but I don't know when eventually we're going to see them actually start doing it. Whether it's when Kluber and Clevenger come back, unless they just send these guys to the minors and be done with it. Or mm-hmm. if they actually do start to turn, turn them back into solid relievers in time for the postseason. That's actually a question. And obviously it always circles back to, to the prodigal son, Danny Salazar.
2: <laughs> Whether he's alive or not is the real question, but at the same time, you know, like, that that's thats the secret dream of all of us, right? Is that they get to October, and then he comes back, and he's just a shutdown closer or something like that. And he throws, you know, 10 innings. His arm explodes by the end of it, but they win a World Series, and he's a hero forever in Cleveland. Uh, he can't he can't lift it, but he never has to buy a drink again. So, yeah, there you go.
0: Yeah, I mean, hes he does, somehow doesn't exist, but he keeps getting injured. It's weird.
2: It's magic, you know? He's, he's, he's Schrodinger's pitcher. Uh, that's what I was gonna po-
0: say, but I'm not sure if that's Schrodinger. I guess because he exists and doesn't exist, right? But I was gonna uh, say he he doesn't exist, but he gets injured. I don't think that makes it Schrodinger's picture. Whatever. You know what? No. I don't know. The analogy was close enough. It sounded
2: it. good, and then you ruined it by by, by <laughs> digging into it too much. Uh, two fifty three is Babbitt is is on base is uh, left on base rate. Talking about Rodriguez is eighty point two, so right. definitely he's having some luck.
0: I mean, of he got grass, but he's still ground ball pitchers
2: have luck. That's the thing, too. You know, like it's just they they induce the luck by inducing the ground ball. So uh, whether it's a valuable thing to continue, I don't know. But to to your point about the relief pitcher, I mean, do you where you know like where is the value in forcing guys to become relievers? Like how how many the old pathway to becoming a great reliever was being a failed starter. Look no further than someone like uh, Andrew Miller, terrible starting pitcher. One of the greatest relief pitchers I've ever seen for for a couple of years there, and then you have someone like Aralis Chapman who did both, was good at both, but said, "No, I want to be a closer," and is good at it. So I don't know if the Indians just w- would rather have more starting pitchers; they're more valuable. You know what I mean? Like they can turn them into, you know, great relievers with lots of control instead if they need to, if they have too many of them. But right now, what they do need is more starting pitching because right now they're just
0: they're very bad everywhere else. So. They just yeah, I think that's innings. a good point. Like, they could just be keeping them as starters to trade for major league caliber relievers when they need them. So, well, and that's something I've written I about a few that times. A like, bit.
2: the Indians have massive deficiencies as a team, and they also have even now, even with two of their five starting pitchers from the beginning of the game, uh, beginning of the season hurt, they're standing on a just a glut of of riches that they could turn into something valuable. And look no further than my than my aforementioned, you know, uh, Alex Alex go or anything, fucking anything, you know, like shit, you know, you know what Shane
0: Bieber could bring back. <laughs> God damn. Yeah. I mean, there was talk last year that the Indians just refused to budge on him as part of a Bryce Harper deal, which seems crazy, but I mean, it, it would have made sense not to not to do it because you get a half season of Bryce. You can't guarantee anything or you get several right. seasons of a really good pitcher and Shane Bieber. So
2: Miles Nicholas, his yeah. nickname is lizard King. Of so
0: that's something <laughs> And I guess the other thing is that they have um, James chat coming up soon, who hasn't allowed an earned run since last August. <laughs> right. He just went on the 7-day DL, or IL. He went to Illinois for 7 days. Um, but when he comes back, I mean, if he comes to the the Indians bullpen and is anywhere close to as good as he's been in the minors, they already have, I think right now they have a pretty good bullpen. If you add him and fire Neil Ramirez into the sun, you've got maybe <laughs> one of the best relieving cores in the majors it's gotta be close
2: right and that's the thing too i was watching the game on sunday and when he's on obviously he's great in in adam simber but nick whitgren does not have anything true particularly eye-popping going on but he's effective and he's getting strikeouts and he's getting and he's fooling guys because he's locating and doing well at that and hand brad hand is having a great year I mean that's three guys. I mean Simber is going to be up and down, I think, because it's because of the velocity thing. It's an issue. Whitgren doesn't really blow the doors off velocity wise, but he has, you know, it's a, it's a nice, it's you know, a collection of solid things that makes everything else better. And then whatever, you know, I like Oliver Perez. Seems like a nice enough guy. It, then you have Dan Otero.
0: Yeah, he has that weird thing where he's not throwing ground balls anymore, but it still works. Like he has a a ton of fly balls he's throwing, but somehow, yeah. And I mean, the Indians as a group, they have a three point one five ERA their relievers, which is second best in the AL, which is incredible. It is shocking considering how bad some of these guys are. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, considering Neil Ramirez exists, but yeah, it's interesting that the Indians their their strikeout rate is eight point five six per nine for their relievers. And looking like ordering it by ERA, the next lowest is the Rockies. At seventeen, with an eight hundred six strikeout percentage, strikeout rate. So they don't have like a lot of big strikeout relievers. They also don't have a bunch of ground ball relievers. <laughs> so it's kind of right. weird so, that they're doing so good.
2: Well, that's that that right there is just telling us that it's a house of cards. Quite honestly, like it's. Well, I mean, they're also yes. not
0: walking a ton either. So I mean, they just have a a weird construction, I guess. And they are they're no, I mean, a ton it, on base. So. You're
2: right. It's just, uh, but again, outside Ooh, of Han Simber, and Whitgren, and then a handful of you know Lugies, basically. Um, which they do need because Simber is so bad at getting out lefties right now. Still, it's um, I don't know. It's 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 close to being good, but you know that's, that's just the way bullpens are. I, we've talked about this many times. How bullpens are an evolution throughout the year, in, in, unless you basically do what the the Yankees did, you know, and just get all of them, get all of the good relievers. I mean, their their relief core is fucking absurd. It's truly absurd the fact that Zach Britton's their third or fourth best reliever is just crazy to me.
0: Chad Green. Is do you want to guess which reliever year, so. core has the highest left on base percentage merit? You want to take a guess at that? Is it the Indians? It's the Indians. Eighty point four percent. Okay. So yeah, there's yeah, you know, there's a lot of luck involved, but their backup isn't super. I don't. They're such a weird group. I think most of this is Neil Ramirez dragging him down. He's so bad. <laughs>
2: He's so bad. <laughs> I mean, I'm on the get rid of Dan Otero train, but whatever. You know. Although he <laughs> no, although I'm he on. Did, he did do that very nice cameo for me, so you know what I, I like Dan Otero. Never mind, he's my guy. No, Dan never... was
0: good this year, actually. Holy cow, that's true. I mean,
2: yeah, he was, he was just been yeah. bad last year, maybe sad last year. So he's he's back being good.
0: All right, Merritt, we're gonna take a quick break. When we come back, we're gonna talk with Matt Leininger, Columbus Clippers director of social media, all that stuff. I've said it several times. You know what he is. He's a great guy. We're gonna talk about the about Oscar Mercado coming up and all kinds of other fun stuff with him. So stick around. Welcome back to Let's Let's Talk Tribe. We're joined now by Matt Leininger, Columbus Clippers, Director of Social Media, Website, Communications, Public Addresser, Announcer, Breaker of Change, just about everything for the Clippers. Matt, (laughs) thanks for joining us. Oh, thanks for having me, guys. It's kind of the, the perfect night to have you on. Um, I never we were gonna do it last week, then I, I had to move it back, but it kind of works out perfectly because tonight um, we got the the news that Oscar Mercado is gonna be joining the Indians soon. Um, so I wanted to start with that. Just, just in general, is there anything you've seen from this this young, really fast outfielder uh, that he's, Indians can be excited I mean, about? First and
1: foremost, let me just say that he's one of the nicest guys that I've had the privilege of meeting so far. So he's going to be a joy for Cleveland to have. Um, he is a as much of a five tool player as I've seen. Um. He's just—he's just complete. He's a complete outfielder. Uh, the The arm, his arm isn't spectacular, but it is above average in my viewing. And you know, on the base pass, he sprays the ball around the field at the plate, and on the base pass, he's deadly. So he's gonna be—he's uh, gonna be something in the upcoming years, and I hope that he hits the ground running up in Cleveland.
2: Who would you? Compare him. I mean, of the guys you've seen so far, not not to say he's going to be this, that, or the other thing, but who who have you seen just in all, whether for the Clippers or you know for someone the Clippers have been playing that kind of re- he reminds you of, or someone in the majors for that matter. I don't
1: know. That's a <laughs> that that that's a fantastic question. Um, uh that you know, I I can't think of anybody off the top of my head that is really like that. I <laughs> if you really want to get Indians fans excited, I would almost go a Kenny Lofton style. But that um, that the, those 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 are very big shoes to fill. So so I, I want to put that kind of pressure on the kid. But um, he he has that style. You know he he he's able to hit lasers all over the field and can also drop down a bunt. It, it's and random power out of nowhere too. So he's a lot of fun to watch. I, I hope that uh, Tribe fans enjoy him. Um, I also hope they're patient with him you remember this kid's first time up. So. Hopefully, hopefully he can make a make a
0: splash and, and be fun for years to come. So as far as, I mean, I'm, I'm sure pa- fans, were, we'd hope they'd be patient, but as far as the Indians themselves being patient, do you have a sense that they they might or that they should? Because this is a player who's who's maybe different than others that they brought up and sent immediately back down. I know right now he's just replacing Tyler Naquin on the, the injured list, so... Do you get any kind of sense that maybe this is a chance for him to start every day in the Indians and if he is do you think he can he can handle that already I mean there's just so many reasons to be excited for him do you think the Indians will be patient with him and give him the chance to to blossom into the player that he probably can be
1: Well I really think that that's the reason that it has taken in my personal opinion obviously I'm, I'm, I'm not up there I'm not in the front office so I don't know I, I don't know the way of thinking but I, I I believe that they wanted him to play every day and I think that's what has really you know there's been that delay of not bringing him up just because you don't want a guy that's going to platoon when he gets up there, um, I, I was really hoping that we would have Greg Allen in AAA all of last year. But obviously, injure, injuries made it so that he was needed up at the big league level. But when you get a guy up there in AAA, I'd like to see him develop for a while. I'd like to get him the bats that he needs every single day, bats And I, I, I had assumed that that was kind of the route that they were going with Oscar. Now, you know, with Tyler going with with Franklin going on the DL, that could change everything. And only time will tell. Uh if if he goes up there and is all of a sudden putting up nasty slash lines, then we won't see him back in Columbus. You know, it's it's really it's really all about, you know, how he performs and, and what happens when uh
0: excuse me, when everybody gets healthy. A big talk with him was that he in the in spring training he improved his swing and it was different and it was helping him go from maybe just a, a guy who can be an average hitter to above average. Have you seen any of that this year, even outside of just the stats? Like is he driving the ball harder? Have you seen Anything different with how he's hitting the ball that's led to this big change in his swing that apparently Indians are so excited about? Oh, I will be completely honest. Uh, we didn't get that much of him last year,
1: so I don't have a whole lot to go off of as far as how much things have changed from from last year to this year. But he, the the confidence level is definitely noticeable. You know, he just he just feels looser, looks like looser up at the plate, and I, I would have to think that that has to do with how well he's he's connecting with the ball and. If if that happened during uh during the off season and and in spring training, then he put in proper work and definitely is deserving of the shot.
2: I mean, I, this is more something in general, just with with the Clippers, but obviously it circles around Mercado simply because you know he's going to the he's going to the big club right now, and obviously there's a pipeline between the two places. Um, but how much? I mean, how much interaction or involvement do the Indians have directly with? That that you've seen at least from your angle with the Clippers, whether operationally, whether I I know that minor league teams kind of exist in a in a pseudo independent of the big club except for the players. I, I worked for a double A club myself for a while. Um, but how how involved are the Indians in, in the in like the day to day like pr, pr, you know work with the players or did do you see any of that at all? That's something I've always kind of wondered uh with like like you know giving showing a a player a pathway to the majors sort of thing do you you ever notice it have you ever noticed anything like that with the indians from like cleveland sending information down to columbus
1: at all or no well, that that one's a little above my pay grade. <laughs> um, I figured but, I, I just oh, not know. Hey, you're here, no, so I gotta no, ask you. No, that's, that's, <laughs> that, that is totally fine, totally fine. Um and, and I don't I don't get the uh, the opportunity to really know how much is is being talked with, but I, I guarantee Manso, Tony Tony our manager, is is on the horn almost every single day, you know, up at the big club. You know, that's they they lay out their plans and everything and that's how it goes. But the only time that I really see is when you know the, the occasional trips that Antonetti and the guys will come down just to you know for for any any real reason whether they're scouting a guy whether they're just coming down because they have an off day you know, it's uh that that's that's about all I really get to uh see from from the tribe perspective mm-hmm. of of them being involved but, but with the uh with the day to day stuff i i am not privileged to that information i'm sure that information's out there but uh no so that's a little above my pay grade
0: how close do you follow the players that you would that you could almost consider like "Quote unquote," your players ever in Columbus? I know, like you post a lot about Yandy Diaz when he hits big hits because everybody was excited about him. You got to watch him. Um, I know a lot about current, or a lot of current Indians players you, you follow and keep tabs on them. So, is there a lot of players that you see come through and you've interacted with them so much that you just want to keep tabs on them going forward? And like, how much and usually how long do you follow those guys to because you got that connection with them in Columbus?
1: Well, I'll, I will. Uh, I'll tell you a quick story. So, I have a uh, a little girl that is special needs that her mom reached out to us uh, about four years ago um, about a guy, Tyler Holt, uh, was real really uh, instrumental in helping my little friend Brianna uh, really come out of her shell. And because of that, I, there's certain players that just hold a special place in my heart that have been very good to Brianna. Guys like Mike Clevenger, uh, Sean Armstrong, uh Giovanni Urshela are all some of her favorites, Ronnie Rodriguez. And when you get to interact with a lot of these guys, you really, there, there's a little bit of a connection there, whether it's a two-way connection or not, you don't really know. But um, the the guys that have treated Brianna the best, I will remember forever. And it's when, when I see, you know, guys that leave the organization and go on to do, you know, do very well, or even if they don't do very well, it, it's still nice to keep in touch. You see guys like, you know, James Ramsey, an outfielder we had a few years back, he's coaching at Georgia tech. Now Tyler holds coaching at Florida state. It's, it's neat to see what happens when these guys are no longer in the organization. You, it's, it's nice to follow up with. And you, you wish nothing but the best. You see, you know, Jesus Aguilar, these, these excuse me, these, these uh, very solid ball players that are also great people. And you, you, if they're not getting an opportunity with Cleveland, you hate to see them go, but you wish them nothing but the best because you know that when there's have good hearts and guys that have great heads on their shoulders and guys that just don't have a quite have an opportunity to play with Cleveland, you know, like in Eric Gonzalez, that guy could start for probably twenty teams at shortstop in the big leagues, but he's behind franchise player and Francisco Lindor. You know that's that sucks. So, of course, I'd like to see Eric go someplace else where he can get an everyday shot like he did. And you, when when guys come and go like that, you, you wish them nothing but the best. That's the business. It's a hard part of the business, but that's the business.
2: Who I mean, you, you kind of got into it. Who would, who would you say in your time with the Clippers has been your kind of – your favorite guy to work with? Who's been – whether he's easy to work with, whether he's interesting, whether he was just a great player to watch. I don't know. I mean
1: – It's – hands down it's club really you know my my Clevenger oh yeah he's he he was uh he just brought this this different I don't know it, it, it was just a different feeling He has he has he, he has an enigma about him that is just fascinating and he was also he's also super good to my Brianna and he's 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 just fun to be around so I'm 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 a I'm a big club fan for life
0: no, Matt, one of the things you told me um, – it was a while ago at this point. It's one of my favorite, like, like minor league stories I've heard so far. But um, it was about how the Clippers broadcast now. It's really good. Like, it looks – if you didn't tell me they were a minor league team, it would just look like a major league broadcast. Um, and you told me about how that happened before. I just wanted to hear more about that and how you guys ended up – I think it was something about being <laughs> on a sports center and then <laughs> –
1: yeah.
0: yeah, so
1: <laughs> – yeah, um <laughs> – <clears throat> we think of the minor league broadcasts, and now it's it's uh most of them are at least triple A wise are have boosted up to HD broadcast capabilities. <clears throat> well, we had uh the privilege of a young man named Todd Cloyd throw a no-hitter for us. And when he did, you know, we set the highlights to ESPN and we got on top 10. We were on the top 10 on ESPN, but the Sports Center anchors were ripping us out about it's like when is this being broadcast 1986 and <laughs> uh, it it uh it really kind of lit the fire under uh it, it lit fire under our uh, production team to really push forward and move into hd and uh, i'm not sure if it was the next year or the year after but we we finally boosted up and and joined uh Enjoy the big boys in the uh, high definition <laughs> ranks, but it only
0: it it only took a little razzing from SportsCenter to really bump us up. <laughs> Are you just hoping somebody else has another no hitter so you can send them more highlights with the with your big fancy new broadcast? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm pretty sure we've made it a couple other. Times. Uh, uh, bringing up Tyler Holt again, the catch that he had in the uh,
1: in the Governors Cup playoffs back in 2015 that was uh, that was a SportsCenter highlight, and we got a lot of love for that because our, our our center field camera caught it perfectly. And it's one of the it's one of the coolest clips, one of the coolest things that I've ever seen. We had we had almost twelve thousand people in the stands that night because we gave away free tickets for uh, playoff games, just trying to pack the park. And it was uh, it was it was an amazing, awesome moment. And actually, now that I think about it, that was uh club's debut that night. It was at Huntington Park. It was uh, oh no no I'm sorry I'm incorrect. That was clubs. It was his uh, second start. It was his second start for course, but she was lights out in that too. But his first start, he went seven and two thirds, no hit innings. And that was that was one of the coolest things that I ever had to had the privilege of announcing for.
0: So do you have a favorite specifically? I mean, was it that or did you have something else favorite to announce for um, for the Clippers? Oh, boy. Um, I, I'd say that that was one of the coolest things was that that
1: 2015 Governor's Cup run. Um, we had uh and it's this way across all of minor league baseball. It's just something about baseball in September that that fans just don't really come out for. And uh, attendance is down everywhere uh, when it comes to playoffs. And so we had the the, the first uh, the first game at home for the playoffs, and it was terrible attendance, only a couple thousand. And so our president and general manager, Ken Schnack, he came up with the idea, let's just, let's just give away tickets. Let's just do what we can to try to get people in and hope you know, we can recruit money back with, you know, food and beverage sales and merch and stuff. And, boy, they came out in droves. We had 10000 11, and 11000 uh, and it was just, it was September playoff, ba- meaningful baseball interplay, and it was one of the coolest, and like, like a week long. And I'm, I think we had either four or five games where it, it was just, I mean, packed. And the crowd was ready, and and we were winning, and it was just it was so much fun. So definitely, say my my favorite. If there isn't a specific moment, it would be the 2015 run because that was that was a lot of, a lot of fun.
2: Who would you say of the people you've worked of the players you worked with? Who would you say you've seen the magic in them that makes them maybe a future you, a future broadcaster type, a future you know, uh, man of the people, a man you know, uh, a face of a of a broadcast sort of a thing?
1: I think Brandon Barnes would be amazing on television. I think he would be so good on television, almost an uh, almost an Eric Burns type. He's just got his, this outgoing, bursting personality that is fun to be around, and I think he would be amazing. Um, if you want to go, <clears throat> want to go uh, outside of the broadcasting ranks and, and go coaching wise, and the only reason I think of this is uh, Guillermo Quiros is is uh, a guy that we had. Uh, three years ago, I believe, four years ago, is a catcher, and he's now coaching in the White Sox organization. He was just here when Charlotte was in town last week, and running into him kind of ha- actually had me thinking last week about who of our guys right now that would be a fantastic coach. And I think Eric Haas just Haas has this has this baseball mind that it's it's soft but powerful. If that makes sense, like he's he is um he's a general on the field but he's not a an overly loud guy or anything but i i, I would listen to that guy talk about baseball all day
0: all right that's going to do it for us this week thanks again matt for joining yeah, us thanks a lot yeah. you can find matt at work with the clippers at Clippersbaseball.com on twitter and instagram at clbclippers. clippers and of course thanks for listening to the podcast this week don't forget to subscribe on itunes and spotify wherever you listen to, to podcasts leave us a review a comment it all helps so much. Just let us know. Let us know. Let, let your friends know that you listen to the podcast. Let us know you're listening. If you made it all this way to the end credits, that's, that's fun. Just go ahead. Let, let us know in the comments somewhere that you listened. You're not going to get anything for it, but undying appreciation. So, so we'll talk to you next week.